You're listening to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller on philliesnation.com. What's going on, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Phillies Nation podcast. Uh, pretty busy week. I think a lot of us saw it coming. Um, the Phillies have re-signed JT Real Muto to a five-year, $115.5 million deal. So that's obviously the big news of the week, but there's... Uh, even more to talk about because the Phillies have more to do, and um, you know it's it's becoming a question of of what that will be. So um, I'm joined by Phillies Nation editorial director Tim Kelly. Uh, Tim, what's going on? I'm doing well, Johnny. It's obviously been a, a pretty hectic week, but we like that here at Phillies Nation. Been a, a very successful week for the site, and uh, we're happy to continue to provide this coverage for everyone. For sure. Yeah. So um, we'll get started just with the big news. Um, the Phillies signed JT Romuto, first reco- uh, reported by Craig Mish. I don't think it's been made official by the team yet. Um, what, what's your what's your first takeaway to the number and, and the, the length? Yeah, at the time of this recording, it hasn't been made official. I reached out to someone on the PR staff this morning and asked if when it may be official and when there's going to be the zoom press conference. I I didn't hear anything back. So I I don't have anything to report on that, but uh, in terms of the deal, I I look at it and kind of think it was a compromise for both sides. But if the Philly, if we had told you at the beginning of the off season that JT real Muto is going to sign for 115 and a half million, I think all of us, even those that have reservations about investing in a catcher long-term would have jumped at that idea. I think MLB trade rumors had 125 million at the beginning of the offseason. And I thought that was even a little bit small. I thought it'd be closer to 130 million. Ultimately, I look at this deal though and say, A, the Real Muto camp overplayed their hand initially in this because I think if the Mets and, and maybe even the Blue Jays had felt that they could get him for $115 million, maybe they would have been more in on this. But we know from the reporting from Todd Zalecki and various others that at one point they were looking for over $200 million. So I think that turned a lot of teams off. If you had started asking for 140 million, I think maybe other teams would have felt they could have bridged the gap. If not, or they they didn't feel that way, they went in other directions and you essentially got into the situation at the very end where you were hearing stuff about the Braves, but I, I don't believe anyone thought in their heart of hearts that JT Real Muto's is going to end up in Atlanta. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you, you said there. It really came down to um, the Phillies needed a catcher and they were really the only team that needed a catcher or was willing to, you know, pay at this stage of the offseason was willing to pay for a catcher. So um, like you said, $115 million, I think they would have taken that at the beginning of the offseason. Um and, and now, like, uh, you know, the payroll is $175 million-ish. Uh, they, they paid around $204 million, according to Sprochak, last year. So um, that's still, you know, $29-ish million that we don't know how much they're going to spend. Um, but, you know, that's $29 million that if they spend it, they, they can continue to uh, fill holes and, and – um, make it a good team because when you when you look at last year's team, it was uh, the lineup was pretty pretty good, good enough to win. the The rotation was even like probably good enough to win. Um, and and if they had a bullpen, 
you know, they, they could have made a playoff run and now they're a shortstop away really from being what they were last year. Um, so it will be interesting to see how they, they fill those holes. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And the, the one other thing I was thinking in regards to real Muto is that at the beginning or at the very end of last regular season in mid September, Matt Klintak was made available to talk to the media and it turned out to be the final time he's spoken. I don't anticipate he'll ever speak as long as he's under contract with the Phillies and probably ever about kind of what went right, what went wrong and what led to him being demoted as general manager. But at that time he had sounded so optimistic in late 2019, early 2020, but he sounded really pessimistic about the idea of re-signing JT Realmuto. And I don't think it was because he didn't want to re-sign JT Realmuto. I think it was because he had gotten signals or at the very least mixed signals throughout the organization about how much this team was going to be willing to spend. As you mentioned, they're at about 107. And I think at the beginning of the offseason, there were some concerns that might be about the ceiling. And I don't think they're going to go to 204, but they are in a situation now where I do think it's going to be closer to 190, 195, somewhere in that range. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I think, um, you know, bringing in Dave Dombrowski, they wouldn't have done that. I don't think Dave Dombrowski would have would have come on board if, if it was, um, you know, a, a severely limited payroll. Um, so I think by doing that, they were they were signaling that they might be more willing to spend now than they were at the beginning of the offseason. Um one thing I wanted to talk about, uh, you just wrote an article for philliesnation.com um, about, you know, how, how the, the JT Realmuto, you know, re-signing him, that doesn't mean that the Phillies won the Sixto Sanchez trade. Um, and, and that's definitely an interesting point, I think, because I think a lot of people saw it as, you know, it doesn't matter as long as they, they, they re-sign him, you know, it's a fine trade to make. But uh, what we saw from Sixto Sanchez last year um, and, and what, you know, he could potentially become, um, you know, just 21 years old. Uh, it, it's, I think it's probably a scary thing for Phillies fans because he looks like he could be, you know, a, a generational pitcher. Yeah, he does. And I, I think a lot of people, you're right, are going to be a little hesitant to even consider the possibility that the Phillies, a team that has not consistently developed prospects, you have guys like Aaron Nola and now Alec Bohm, uh, every few years you get, but this is not a situation like the Braves or even the Nationals where you're continuously churning out these type of players they're worried that maybe the best player the Phillies have turned out since Ryan Howard or even before that Cole Hamels whoever Cole Hamels was after Ryan Howard but you get my point uh maybe the Phillies traded that person away and not only did they trade him away they traded him to a division rival some people I think just didn't watch Sixto Sanchez pitch but I watched every inning that he pitched last season and he looked like a legitimate frontline starter I know he had injury problems when he was in the minor leagues I know there isn't a great history of starting pitchers of his size holding up over the long run but the guy I've always kind of wondered if he'll have a career similar to is not Pedro Martinez it's Tim Lincecum and Tim Lincecum's star did not burn for a long time but it burned about as good as you could for four or five years and, uh, I mean, at that point, he was out pitching Roy Holiday in the postseason. The Giants won multiple World Series titles. I'm not saying that's going to happen with the Marlins, but what I am saying is that 
just because you've re-signed JT Realmuto does not mean that you won this trade. It doesn't even mean that it's a wash. The jury is still out in that sense because if Sixto Sanchez is anything like what we saw him in those eight games, unless you're trading for Mike Trout or Ronald Acuna or Juan Soto, I just don't think you give up that type of person. I am someone that likes to build a team through your starting pitching. And Sixto Sanchez, yes, I, I see people on Twitter coming after me and saying, Oh, well, Don Brown had success for a little while. Or they're named some pitcher, Gavin Floyd, or some person that had a few good starts with the Phillies. None of these people were up here throwing 99, topping 100 five or six times a game out of the, not out of the bullpen as a starter. I mean, Sixto Sanchez, if he is as good as he looks last year, is going to be one of the very best pitchers in the sport. And I get JT Realmuto is the best catcher in baseball right now. But if I have the choice between the best catcher in baseball or the 12th best pitcher in baseball, and I, I don't know where Sixto is ultimately going to land, but this is just kind of a hypothetical. I am taking the 12th best pitcher in baseball, and I am taking someone who has an arsenal that can be a number one starter. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think another key to this this whole debate really is um, you know, teams can excuse themselves from from trading uh, a top prospect if the piece they get in return helps them, you know, win, uh, you know, a World Series title or even, you know, just have some form of success playoff runs. Like you mentioned in your article, the Phillies have not made the playoffs with JT Romuto. Um, not to his fault. He's he's been great, but they haven't made the playoffs yet. Um, you know, who knows what happens over the next few seasons who knows you know who knows if they hadn't trade for him if they maybe still could have signed him um but yeah it, it does look like Sixto Sanchez could be yeah um incredible so um yeah and you, yeah. you pushed your timeline up that's the thing that doesn't make sense about this is and I asked John Middleton this point blank in the press conference after Matt Clintock got demoted I said do you believe that you needed to sign to trade for JT Realmuto to get Bryce Harper to sign. And he said, no, he said it probably helped, but no. So that that's something I hear quite a bit. Ultimately the Phillies say, and I'll take them at their word that they don't believe that was the case. And I think a lot of times it's easy to be out of sight, out of mind when someone is in the minor leagues, but Sixto Sanchez was excellent. And he was healthy for the Jacksonville jumbo shrimp two years ago. And then he came up for the Marlins and, they made the playoffs for the first time in 17 years, and they won a playoff series. I know it was an expanded playoff field, but Sixto Sanchez was a big part of that. And I look back to the trade that the Reds made with the Texas Rangers, where after year one of that deal where you sent Josh Hamilton to the Rangers and Edison Volquez to the Reds, a lot of people felt like, oh, this is one of those rare deals where everything works out for it. And then you fast forward a few years and Edison Volquez was a nice pitcher, but Josh Hamilton had like a three or four year stretch where he played at a hall of fame caliber, won an MVP, the Rangers made two world series titles. So what I'm saying is that JT real Muto, you got him at his peak. You're getting the production you hope out of him these first two years. And I think if I had to guess he has another year or two at that type of level, but if you don't win with him and you have to watch Sixto Sanchez pitch in your division for five plus years, that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. And one, one more thing, you know, you, you mentioned them artificially moving up the window and, and really now, now that they, you know, they, they signed Zach Wheeler to a five-year deal. They signed JT Real Muto to a five-year deal. And, and all these guys, Wheeler and, Wheeler and Real Muto are both 30. 
uh, Bryce Harper, Aaron Nola, Aaron Reese Hoskins, they're 27-28. So really, if, if you look at their window of contention, it's these next two, maybe three years because Wheeler and Real Muto are going to start to to decline at some point, you would expect, and they're still going to be making uh, $20, 25000000 million a year. Um, so so there's a lot of pressure, I think, on the Phillies to to make it happen this year or next year. I know Dave Dombrowski at his initial pressure uh, presser talked about, you know, retooling for a year. They don't really have time for that. Um, so, so again, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they, they um, treat the rest of the off season. But uh, I, I think this, this signing really solidifies that it's, it's now or never. Yeah. Phillies. I mean, I, I think what Dave Dombrowski said, the retooling thing, a, he hadn't been here terribly long to get a great assessment of the Phillies. But I think some of that retooling is more organizationally than the major league club. You need to retool and figure out, A, why every uh, major league caliber relief pitcher you bring in all of a sudden forgets how to pitch when they come here. And then, B, you need to figure out why this team cannot consistently churn out major league caliber starters and ends up with a lineup where half the guys, if not more, are guys that you acquired either through free agency or trades and therefore are expensive and pushing you against the luxury tax threshold every year. So I, I think you need to figure that out. But in the short term, yeah, you, you have a team built to win right now. The scary part about that is not only have you not done that the last two years, you haven't even posted a winning record. So you need to figure that out. You need to figure out organizationally why this team has been so bad in September over the past few seasons, and you need to go from there. But, yeah, this is a team built to win right now. They're in a division, though, that every team's trying to win. Maybe the Marlins take a bit of a step back, but I don't think they're going far away. And I, I think as you look at it today, the Braves and Mets are definitively better on paper than the Phillies. Yeah, definitely. It, it's a division that uh, is getting better around them. So, um, you know, it, it's going to be tough for them to contend, uh, even if they have a good year. Um, so, uh a bunch of other stuff happened yesterday beyond the JT Real Muto signing. Um, so a couple uh, different reports that the Phillies were in on Andrelton Simmons. That's been over the past couple days. And um, I think, you know, the, the general take on Simmons is he's not going to hit like D.D. Gregorius, but he's also one of the best defensive players of all time, maybe the best defensive shortstop of all time. Um and he really helps when you have Alec Bohm at third base. He really helps when you have pitchers who give up a lot of ground balls. And the Phillies have had pretty awful defense all around, I think, for the past several years. That's, that's been one of their, um, their biggest problems. Uh, so, so bringing him in would have definitely made a difference there. But uh, yesterday, um, well, before, before he was signed, uh, a couple other shortstops went. Freddie Galvis for a million dollars to the Baltimore Orioles, uh, Marcus Semien for $18 million one year to the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, and then last night, uh, Tuesday night, uh, the Minnesota Twins signed um, Simmons. So all of a sudden, the only the only shortstop left on in, in free agency is D.D. Gregorius. And the Phillies had a chance at the beginning of the offseason to sign him to a one-year $18.9 million deal with a qualifying offer. Um I don't, maybe they regret that now because you look at what Simeon got. Um, I, I honestly, I saw the number for Simmons and I was surprised the Phillies uh, weren't in on that. I felt like that was exactly what they were looking for. Yeah, because I, I think if you're looking for a one-year deal 
Uh, Marcus Simeon was excellent in 2019, MVP candidate. I kind of think, to, at least to a degree, offensively, that year's a bit of an outlier. But then you get to 2020, Didi Gregorius has a, a bounce back year, was a much better player last season, at least offensively, than Marcus Simeon. So if Marcus Simeon gets a one-year $18 million deal, I think what you're looking at with Didi Gregorius, I know uh, John Heyman reported last night he wants two years and $30 million. But if he ultimately gets to a point where he's willing to take a one-year deal, at the very least, you'd have to think his camp would insist on topping that $18 million mark because he was a better player than Marcus Simeon last year. They're already frustrated, I'm sure, with how the market's played out. At the very least, you're going to want to get equal or more than that. Uh, the Simmons thing was interesting because you would be taking a step back offensively but like you said, you have an infield where you're not really sure about what – you're not sure, A, Reese Austin is going to be healthy on opening day, but, B, he's certainly had some plays you can point to over the past two, two or three seasons where you say that play legitimately lost the game. So you have that at first base, and then at third base you have Alec Bohm, who in a very short period of time – had like negative six defensive runs saved last year. I know he also had a few really nice plays at the position, but I, I struggle to kind of put in con into context how uh, much negative six defensive runs saved is in the short period of the season. A, it was a 60-game season. B, he didn't start the season with the team. I thought he looked good at first base, uh, but the Phillies are going to try it at third base. So if you're going to do that, you'd like to have a really good fielding shortstop, which is why the idea of playing Gene Segura or Scott Kingery or whoever there is not something I would be excited about. And even D.D. Gregorius, Andrew and Simmons would have been a downgrade offensively, but Andrew and Simmons, A, looks like he's going to be cheaper, and B, like you said, is one of the greatest fielding shortstops of all time. I know when you said that, there are probably some people that scoffed, but in a lot of senses, Andrew and Simmons is what people – Omar Vizquel was at shortstop yeah definitely and and it's going to be interesting to see like how Gregorius's market played out because um you mentioned Heyman John Heyman uh tweeted that he's looking for you know two years 30 million dollars and that it's the Phillies and the Reds who are in on him the thing about the Reds is they you know they've been cutting money throughout the offseason who knows you know how how in they really are how much they're willing to to pay to sign uh, Gregorius and and you know if there's any any chance that this ends up being similar to the real Muto situation where the Phillies have have leverage over Gregorius and can maybe get a a better deal than than uh, what he's looking for so it, it'll be interesting um, to see how that plays out yeah you have a situation where the Reds are telling you we want out a shortstop really badly but they non-tendered Archie Bradley. They gave up Iglesias for a pretty lopsided trade that was clearly just meant to cut costs. Uh, I'm sure they'd love to trade Joey Votto if they could. They haven't really made any attempt to re-sign Trevor Bauer, and I don't know if I can blame them. But uh, in terms of what he was on the field last year, he won a Cy Young for you. You got to the playoffs. He was superb in the one postseason game he pitched. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't get any offensive support from his team. But you're giving up all those guys. Why then would you go and issue a multi-year deal to a 30-year-old shortstop? I think Didi Gregorius is an excellent player, uh, a guy that players like to be around. Understand that. And I know the, the NL Central is just a complete train wreck where it seems like maybe one team is, is actually trying to win in 2021. But it, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And I kind of feel like 
the Reds are not going to go to that price for Didi Gregorius either. So I really do wonder if this gets down to him taking a one-year deal or maybe it's a one-year deal with a club option for a second year, something like that. But it, it does appear pretty clear that the Phillies want to stick to that one year. And I applaud them for that. It's a strategy they've seen work out very well. I mean, with the Braves, I know they got burned on the Cole Hamels thing, but they hit, I mean, they couldn't have imagined what they got from Josh Donaldson and Marcelo Zuna in their wildest dreams. So being able every year to play on those guys that you are hoping to bounce back, you had success doing it with Gregorius last year. And hopefully next offseason, I think you're looking at a position where either Bryson Stott's ready or you want to be a player for one of the major shortstops, Francisco Lindor, Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, whoever. So I think they just want to keep that flexibility open, and it, it makes quite a bit of sense to me. It's a, it's a matter of whether there's a team other than the Phillies, and I guess it would have to be the Reds at this point, willing to go to a second year. And if there is a team and ultimately Didi goes elsewhere for two years, what do the Phillies do at shortstop? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that that um, will definitely be interesting if he does go elsewhere. Because um, then, then they're either they have to, you know, Dombrowski has to find a trade target somewhere. Um, you know, I've, I've seen people talking about Trevor's story. I don't, I don't see that happening. Um, you know, the Phillies don't have too much to trade for for someone like Trevor Story, and he'd be a free agent, you know, after the season. Um, or, um, like you mentioned, it'd be Gene Segura or Scott Kingery slotting in at shortstop. And then, you know, do you sign a second baseman? Do you sign a center fielder? Uh, the, the Phillies were linked to Jackie Bradley Jr. much earlier in the offseason. And um, last night, or Tuesday night, John Morosi linked them to, as one of the teams in on Colton Wong. Um, I I mean, if they were to sign a second baseman, like I think, I think Cesar Hernandez probably should have been the guy after seeing what he got. He got $5 million, which is like one year. Like that's, um, I, I don't think you can do much better um, in terms of value. Uh, he had a great year last year, won a gold glove. Um, and I, I, I think settling for, you know, I, I don't, what do you think Wong gets in, in free agency? Well, that's what I'm thinking. I like Colton Wong a lot as a player. I think the Cardinals made a mistake being cheap and non-tendering him. But I think he probably gets 9, 10, 11 million. And at that point, why didn't you just sign Andrelton Simmons for the $11 million price as opposed to signing a second baseman? Um, I mean, Gene Segura was excellent at second base last year. That's where he should be. You probably need Scott Kingery to at least be part of the solution in center field. But as we talked about last week, like, I, I don't think you can just bank on him being a sure thing because two out of the three years he's been at the major league level, he hasn't been that. So, if you end up with Gene Segura at shortstop and Colton Wong at second base, all right, you're not in a bad place offensively, but defensively, especially when you have questions about Alec Bohm at third base, there's a reason the Phillies moved Gene Segura off shortstop to begin with. And I know he got in tremendous shape, lost a lot of weight, was great at second base, was good in the short time at third base last year. But as you get into your 30s, you're not going to have improved range at shortstop. Yeah, and, and again, you have, you know, Zach Wheeler is not striking guys any out anymore. He's giving up ground balls, like like Aaron Nola, Zach Eflin. They all give up a bunch of ground balls, and, and you need some some semblance of, like, decent defense on – or in the infield. And, and like you said earlier, you know, you have – you at least have two guys who are, are going to be negatives out there. Um, so figuring out up the middle is, is 
uh, going to be important. But um, yeah, that's that's all we have for this episode. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Um, been a pretty active couple weeks, so probably have a lot more to talk about next week. You can listen to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller every Wednesday and always stay up to date with Philadelphia Phillies news on philliesnation.com.